Hey, it's time for .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. In New London, Connecticut, I'm your host, Carl Franklin, and uh, Mark Dunn in Atlanta. But he's not in Atlanta. Where are you, Mark? I am in Montgomery, Alabama tonight. Back in Montgomery. That's right, in the Deep South. Deep South. Have the bugs come out yet? Yeah, I drove one to work this morning. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, I don't know if you heard the news this week, but uh, or last week, but Rocks Press is going belly up. That's hard to believe. I mean, you know, they're they're one of the best publishers out there. That well, they certainly the very prolific. I mean, they've published hundreds of books in a small amount of time. They really have quite a variety. And uh, yeah, true story. Apparently, the parent company is going uh, filing for Chapter 11, and so much for rocks. And and from what I heard, I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe somebody could call in and tell us. But all the uh, outstanding royalties are just going up in smoke. Yeah, that's really bad news for those authors out there. Oh, I'm glad I didn't write a book with them. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so what have you been doing this week, Mark? I'm uh, teaching an ASP.NET class for the state of Alabama. This isn't the three-day class where uh, that you use for a doorstop, is, is it? Oh, no, no. This is a good five-day class. Awesome. Uh, if anyone's out there taking a mock a Microsoft class, number 2310 is a joy. Cool. Really good material. Great. Well, uh, it's Ancient History Week here on .NET Rocks, isn't it? Absolutely, man. I'm excited, as you all know about tonight. <laughs> it's very exciting for me because uh, one of my good friends and mentors uh, and another good friend who came later in my uh, experience are both on the line tonight. We're talking about the history of BASIC as a language and uh, going to go back in time a little bit and, and hear some stories from people who were there. Uh, will you please welcome uh, the founder of Crescent Software, one of the first, uh, if not the first, tool vendor for Quick Basic, Visual Basic, and Basic 7 PDS, and, uh, and then eventually Visual Basic, as I said, Ethan Weiner, and from Power Basic, which, uh, who, a guy who also wrote Turbo Basic for Borland, Bob Zale. How are you guys? Just wonderful. Thanks for inviting us. Oh well, this is this is a like incredible experience for me because uh, I I remember talking to both of you guys on a couple of occasions, but it's not often that I get to talk to both of you at the same time. Yeah, I've never really talked to you, but I've used your products for a long time. Uh, I really never used uh, Turbo Basic, Bob, but I used uh, you wrote a uh, a Power Basic DLL compiler that I just wore the thing out. It was great. Well, that's good to hear. So uh, let me start with uh, with you, Ethan. Um, you obviously uh, were my first boss in this industry. And, uh, well, not obviously. Not a lot of people know that. But uh, I went to work for Crescent Software right before you had published QuickPack uh, Professional for Windows, right? Uh, probably something like that. Yeah. But uh, even before that, you had been in business uh, with Crescent Software since about when? Well, I started the company in October of 1986. That was when the first ads I placed in PC Magazine came out. Uh-huh. And you were developing assembler libraries, uh, right? That's, that's right. The first library was uh, uh, was mostly assembly language routines. There were 60-some-odd routines and 50, 60-something like that. It grew very quickly over the first couple of months. And... Uh, most of it was written in assembly language. That was the key part. And uh, unlike all of the other libraries that were out there uh, at the time, uh, C libraries and Pascal libraries and other languages, uh, most of the libraries were $350 or more, and you got object modules and minimal documentation. And right. uh, I wanted to do something. Uh, I wanted to go the extra mile, and I also wanted to make it affordable. I wasn't going to pay 350 bucks for some sorting routines and some ways to get a list of file names off the disk and, and some basic services like that. And, uh, and I figured that most of the people that, uh, people that were like me and thought like me wouldn't want to pay that kind of money either. Right. And uh, I even went the extra mile and included uh, all the assembly language source code. Right. And wrote the, that little booklet, The Assembly Tutor, that then got expanded into one of the chapters of my uh, basic uh, 
the techniques book that I wrote for PC Magazine. What version of Quick Basic was around back then that you were writing for? That was version two. That's when I jumped on the bandwagon. I had been using uh, 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 the Bascom 1.0 compiler uh, uh-huh. to compile. Well, I was writing programs professionally, custom programs for people. And uh, that was, you know, you know big, the big fancy IBM version. Of course, it was written by Microsoft, I'm sure. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, and I knew Quick Basic came out, Quick Basic 1. And I don't remember the pricing or the dates and the, all the exact details, but I remember that it uh, uh, wasn't that compelling a uh, uh, an improvement. Uh, so Bascom was before Quick Basic? Is that the deal? or? Yes. Yeah, that was, that, that was around, I think, pretty much since the beginning of the IBM PC. Bob probably has a better handle on on that because he's been doing this longer than I have. Yeah, Bob, where, what were you doing about that time? Oh, well, I actually started in the business in the 70s. Wow. Um, it started out as a toy, as a hobby for for, for me, you know, doing uh, uh, oh, utility programs and utility things and such, uh, you know, disk editors and programming editors and such until we it, decided in to get into the, into the compiler business around 1980. Well, were, you, were, you, were you pretty much coding an assembler back then? Oh, yeah. Everything has been an assembler since day one. Yeah. You were programming with an abacus back then, probably. <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> I could tell you stories. <laughs> we, we had times when it took, it, when we were developing the first compiler, where it literally took six to seven hours to link a program. Oh, man. Wow. Link the compiler together, s- simply because it required so many floppy changes all the way. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, because it was all done with a, on floppy machines. Awesome. We we had an interesting time. A full build of that first compiler took six, seven hours. To well, do. that gave you time to polish off a bottle of scotch, right? You bet. <laughs> yeah. um, now, the Bascom compiler, that, that didn't have an environment like QuickBasic, right? It was just a compiler? Uh, or that, did it? That, that, that's correct. You would write your program in Basic A or GW Basic, and uh, uh, you didn't have to use line numbers, but if you didn't, then, of course, you couldn't test the program <laughs> right. and debug it. So usually, you know, we would... Uh, well, I always would use line numbers back then, and uh, and and you'd get the program running the way you wanted in the environment. But uh, unlike the way it is now, where you just push a button and it just hand, hands it off to a compiling phase, uh, that was a separate uh, you know a separate step that you would save the program and then run the compiler and then run yeah. the exe and cross your fingers and hope it all worked exactly as it had in the environment. So, Bob, when did you write your first compiler? Uh, first compiler was released uh, about 1980. Wow! Uh, it was uh, it wasn't even a CPM compiler. It was written for MDOS, Micropolis Disk Operating System. Uh, what was it called? It was called Basic Z. Gee, I wonder where the Z came from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was that was the first one for for MDOS, and then we moved that to CPM over the next couple of years. Uh huh. And we had a CPM compiler until the uh, until the mid '80s, which is when we were. Um, that's when we got into actually into the Turbo Basic uh, uh, area okay. after after Turbo Pascal, and I wrote a and and we 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 uh, we created uh, a much more of a Microsoft like compiler. Yeah. Uh, which which became Turbo Basic. And that was you were hired by Borland to write that then. Um, it was actually mostly written before I went with them. Okay. But, uh, it was, oh, perhaps 60% done when we agreed to uh, kind of team up on that project, and uh, that was released in 1987. Huh. And so Borland and Microsoft were obviously competing with Quick Basic and Turbo Basic then. You bet. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, uh, what was it? What was Microsoft like back then? Um, a formidable competitor, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, marvelous marketing. Uh, uh, it, but uh, you know, along those lines, at that time, we had uh, actually probably fairly similar products. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but uh, it, it it was a race for a while. Right, had and fun with it. Did you two know each other back then? Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, I think we met, uh, actually, uh, Ethan and I met uh, about the time for uh, Turbo Basic was first released, if I recall. That's my recollection, anyway. Although it seems like I've known you for ages, Ethan. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember we talked on the phone, and 
Uh, I guess that was before email. <laughs> right. Pretty much. But, but yeah. we, we certainly, uh, uh, I, I remember we knew each other when we finally met in person. We were like old friends at that point. Uh -huh. That's correct. How true. Yeah. And um, um, Ethan, when did you get the idea to do PDQ? And, and tell everybody about what that was. Uh, well, you know, I don't remember exactly exactly when that was. Uh, yeah, probably it was a long was, time ago. Yeah, I, I'm not good with years. Quick Basic 3, maybe? Uh, no, no, it, uh, it wouldn't have worked uh, uh, until uh, Quick Basic 4.0, I think, was the first version. So sometime around when that was released, probably 88. So tell everybody what that was and, and what you did. Well, that was actually a very interesting product. I, the, the original goal was to, was to write my own basic compiler, and not to compete with Bob and not to compete with uh, Microsoft Basic, but to give people a way to write a small, simple utility program, things like, at that time, uh, the original Norton utilities, were, and those were right. written, I believe, in Turbo Pascal. Uh, really? At least the original ones. And there would be useful utilities that you know, were 6K, 10K EXE file sizes. And they would recurse all the directories on the disk trying to find the files. So if, you know, there was like, be like a where is kind of utility. Right. And, uh, and just just a, a variety of, of useful utilities. And I wanted people to be able to write that uh, in a basic-like language that they already knew without having to learn C. That was when C was starting to make big inroads. And you know, all the really cool guys were using C. Right, right. And uh, only the weenies were still using basic. Right. Uh, and I knew that uh, <laughs> that all, that a lot of the overhead that made a Hello World program in basic, you know, 20K, didn't really have to be. There's a lot of things get added when you say, if you just say print hello, uh, there's a lot of stuff that gets added to the program that really isn't needed. Code to open a COM port, code to... To, you know, put put the screen in graphics mode in case you were going to do that. It's just all kinds of extra stuff. And, huh. You know, the entire complement of, of a string, all the string manipulation routines. Even if you're not using that, it would all get added. Right. So the original goal was uh, of PDQ was to write a a simple basic compiler that would be a subset of basic and just do just the, really the most fundamental stuff uh, that would make uh, really small exes. You know, like you know under a K to start, and you could write you know real programs that did things at about 5K. And I had uh, Rob Hummel at that time, who was a contributing editor for PC Magazine and a friend, yeah. uh, working on that. And he spent about six months, and he was uh, came up with a sort of sort of almost workable compiler, and it was certainly more advanced than I could do. And at one point, I was looking through his code, and he had done a uh, you know, some startup code that got linked in with the main thing. And all of a sudden, the light bulb went on and said, you know, we don't need to write a compiler. The basic compiler that you get with, with QuickBasic is, is actually very efficient. What needs to be written is a new runtime library, hmm. the, uh, the LIB file that gets linked with the compiled, the compiled program. Right. And uh, once that went on, it was just a couple of months to a minimal working thing and realized that, yes, this could be a real product. And by the time, well, now it's... Uh, well, now it's uh, you know the final version was three point something, but you know so we went through a lot of major revisions. Right, right. Uh, but uh, the minimum program size was I think 768 bytes for a print hello right. world, and uh, and you could write real programs uh, in you know 3K, 4K, 5K. I mean real programs that did real things, almost as small as assembly language. Uh, not quite, because there was still some overhead if you used any string operations, and of course you got all the string manipulation. And you were always big into uh, telling basic programmers not, uh, don't, you know, don't be scared by the C people who tell you you're being weenies, you know, because you don't write C. If you want to do something low level, learn assembler. It's not that much more difficult. <laughs> That's right, and much more valuable. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, C is kind of like has all the com all the difficulty of dealing with assembly language, but uh, none of the benefits. And, uh, you know, it's just so much harder than basic. So I, so I, to this day, would prefer, not that I do a lot of DOS programming, but I still do some. Uh, yeah. I would much prefer to write the, as much of the program as possible in basic. You could do it then, in much less time. Right, and then write uh, custom routines to do whatever needs to be really fast or really small or whatever in assembly language. And to me, that's the ideal combination. Now, of course, everything changes with Windows. Right, right. Uh, and I don't know, know enough about that to discuss that knowledgeably, but I know there's a lot of services. Well, Bob, you do. I mean, uh, that you guys made the transition uh, when you got Turbo Basic back from Borland. Uh, to Power Basic, and you really embrace Windows. I mean, when you look at Power Basic, it's uh, you write Windows applications just like you would in C. Uh, you know, and I'm talking about the early Windows applications where you had to create your Windows and things like that. And then, now correct me if I'm wrong, but then you started making some higher level utilities. But the but the basic programming model is the same. Am I am I right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, um, we we can create uh, an executable for Windows the 
as little as about 4K. Yeah, the uh, the library that I purchased from you at one point uh, was dedicated just to making DLLs for Windows, and it wasn't the full-blown uh, PowerBasic compiler, but, you know, it met my needs really well because I just wanted to make high-performance DLLs. Right. And you couldn't do that in, uh, in BASIC at that time. I think that was uh, version 3 of uh, Visual BASIC I was using. Yeah. Very cool. Hey, uh, guys, hang on one second. We're just going to pay the bills. And I'm going to mention uh, this article that I saw in uh, MSDN Magazine on building Windows Forms, Controls, and Components with Rich Design Time Features by Chris Sells and Michael Weinhardt. Um, if you've ever never built a control in uh, Visual Basic 6 or C++, uh, and especially if you haven't built a control in uh, .NET, this is a great introductory article for uh, writing controls, uh, talking about container controls and components, and they talk about the uh, inheritance hierarchy. So inheritance is everywhere in the framework, and these guys do a great job of looking at the different classes in that namespace system Windows forms and uh, talking all about how to make controls. They actually build one, and they bring you along for the ride. You can check it out online at msdn.microsoft.com slash msdnmag, or, you know, uh, pick up a subscription to MSDN Magazine. Uh, you'll be glad you did. Hey, let's get back to our talk with Ethan Weiner and Bob Zale about BASIC and about uh, a Power Basic specifically. You may not have ever even heard of Power Basic, but uh, Bob Zale's going to tell you exactly what it is, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Stick around. Bob, tell us what uh, Power Basic is today. Well, Power Basic is uh, uh, a vendor of compilers and a few other tools. We we have compilers. We're still actively supporting our DOS compiler. We have two Windows compilers that'll create industry standard DLLs that will create complete applications. We have a console compiler, which is our text mode compiler for Windows. Uh -huh. Gives you all the all the power of Windows, but without the need to deal with a, a fancy graphical user interface if you don't really need it. If you're doing web server apps, you're doing right. anything that doesn't need a fancy user interface, gives you a simple way to create good, solid code right away. And then we also have our regular uh, Power Basics version 7 for Windows, which is our GUI compiler. Uh, creates right. complete applications or DLLs and, and does it with pretty efficient use. All of our products uh, uh, rely upon the fact that uh, we don't need any external DLLs. We don't ex right. need any external runtime libraries of any sort, but we still create everything in one single standalone executable, unless the programmer decides he wants some right. other separation. Have you uh, have you taken a look at .NET, uh, and if so, what do you think about it? I think it's a, I think it's a very interesting project. We're probably going to support it. Wow, that's uh, great! I didn't know it, that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're we're. We're doing some serious work in that area, and uh, I I think it's safe to presume that'll that that that'll come come around. Wow, that's in, great news! In the reasonably near future, right. you know, so you do think it has a future? Right? Sure, I do. Absolutely. I hope so. Uh, yeah, that's great. You know, news. it's it's still to to see for sure exactly what's going to happen. Obviously, right? But um, uh, uh, I. If I were a betting man, which I am, <laughs> I think I'd I think I'd go with it. Well, Bob, Absolutely. I got to tell you that um, I used Power Basic, and and I really want to share this with the listening audience. I used Power Basic um, to, and I can't remember if it was DLL, it wasn't the DLL compiler, it was the EXE compiler. It was still very cheap, and uh, using the basic language and just a you know a few lines of code, I was able to create a Bootstrap install program for the .NET framework. And I have that up on my uh, website, and people have downloaded it and, and been very appreciative about it. Um, what it is is it's a. It's, I like. I love the fact that I can write a exe for Windows that doesn't require anything, any DLL. You know, only the the three main uh, system files: user, GDI, and kernel, and that's it. And uh, what I did is I made a little setup program. It's only about twenty five k that goes out and checks to see if the framework is installed. And, of course, you can run it without the framework being installed. 
and if it isn't installed, it will run from an any file setting your uh, framework runtime, go through that setup, calling, you know, with a shell uh, command, and it waits until that finishes, and then it calls your setup program. And which, by the way, listeners, uh, the setup and deployment wizard in, in .NET creates a setup.exe that requires .NET. So when you make a setup.exe, you can't even run that setup unless the framework is installed. So there's no way for that setup to check to see if the framework is there. Um, so that's why you need a little bootstrap program like this. And uh, Power Basic, I was able to do it in like, you know, half a day. And it works great. Yeah, we're pleased to hear that. Yeah. So that's up on up on our website at Franklin's Net. If you click on the .NET Code and Utilities tab on the left, look for bootstrapper.zip. Yeah, and the price is right, isn't it, Carl? It's free. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that is free. The bootstrapper is. But uh, tell me how much uh, the Power Basic compiler costs these days, Bob. Uh, the uh, the DOS compiler is $99. Our console compiler is 169 and our full GUI compiler is 199 That's cool. We try to keep it affordable. Yeah, it's great. We'd, we'd rather uh, make it affordable for lots of folks than an elite few. That's great. Yep, that's good. How many uh, users do you have out there of uh, your different compilers? Oh, it's uh, it, in total over the years, it's actually in six figures. Wow. But that's that's a lot of that's a lot of DOS programs. It's yeah. a lot of uh, uh, OEM OEM programs and all. Right. Um, but uh, we we have a lot of users. That's great. And Ethan, uh, let, let's uh, get to some stories here because I know that uh, everybody's just itching to hear to hear some stories oh, from the sure. old days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If I may, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to tell the story of uh, when I went to Crescent Software for a job interview and, and the interview process. I tell this story all the time. Uh, I was in college and in, in, uh, working in New York, and not working, in college, and my wife was working in New York. And uh, it was over summer break, and I was just trying to find something to do. And I had been doing some quick basic programming and had found somehow uh, Crescent's tools and PDQ.com. I believe, and PDQ. I had them both. I really liked them, really liked the company, and I was starting to learn Assembler. I was getting into it. And Visual Basic 1.0 had just come out, so I picked that up, and I was playing with that. And I called up Crescent on, in the summer, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a summer job. And they passed me off to Ethan, and uh, he said, hmm, you have our products? And I said, yeah. I got PDQ and PDQ.com, and I know them pretty well, and I've done this and I've done that. And he says, uh, do you have Visual Basic? You know that? And I said, yeah, I got that, playing with it. He says, well, you want to come up for an interview? <laughs> so I said, all right. So the next day, I think I went up there. And it was in your house, right? That's right, yeah. That was the house I had in Reading. At that time, it was, uh, it was a very large house. We had 11 people in that house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't the first house that you had Crescent Software in. The first I, I, one was in Stanford, right? It was always well, it was always in the house. Well, the first uh, at, in the beginning was when I was living in Norwalk, uh, All right. renting renting you know a third of a house from a woman. Fairfield County, Connecticut. Uh, that, that, that's correct. So I drive up there to Ridgefield. No, it wasn't Ridgefield. It was West Reading, which is close to Ridgefield, right. West Reading, Connecticut, right above Wilton, and uh, this big house and 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 a huge generator outside. You know what I'm thinking. Uh, man, there's no way that I'm gonna get uh, get into this uh, this company. This would just be too good. Uh, I even believe I was late. I think so. Uh, we sit down and go into his living room. He's got like guitars and keyboards and stuff all over the place. And of course, you know, I'm a musician. I play guitar, and I'm into MIDI. So I immediately said, "Hey, is this stuff yours?" And he says, "Yeah." I said, "Oh, cool, Tele. You know, Telecaster guitar." And he picks it up and he plays, you know, plays this blues riff. And I said, oh, yeah, let me check that out. And I picked it up and I played the same blues riff. He goes, all right. He says, you drink scotch? I said, yeah. He says, you're hired, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's almost how it went. <laughs> almost. And, of course, you know, we did have a formal interview. We did have a formal interview, but it, it, was, it was just an amazing uh, coincidence. Well, I'm not a very formal kind of guy, so I, I don't know how formal it was. But I think we did probably talk about programming at we did. one point. Well, anyway, I really loved the uh, that environment. I started in tech support and uh, just hanging around with all those guys and was just an amazing experience and a learning experience. Uh, reading Petzold's book and 
learning Windows and Assembler and and uh, understanding things. It was just great. So anyway, that's my story. <laughs> so I want to hear uh, from you guys. You know, uh, some stories from the field about oh, I don't know, about meetings with Microsoft or about uh, the industry in general, the way it was going. Who is who is Tom Hanlon? Tom well, Hanlon had a, uh, a shareware library uh, that was similar to probably the first version of QuickBack, though, though that too grew over, grew over time. Right. But uh, uh, and that was a it was a competent library uh, for what it was, and uh, and I know he had quite a uh, quite a popular following. And at that point, I guess most shareware and freeware stuff migrated through BBSs. There were certainly right, no websites boards. back then. Right. And. Uh, but he was he was never competition to us because it was really a different class of product. But at one point, uh, Wayne Hammerly, who was uh, friends with, uh, or, or I guess approached Tom, uh, Wayne was a user and, and fancied himself an entrepreneur, and he ended up uh, coming up, uh, the two of them got together and came up with a, a product to be more competitive in the marketplace with what we were selling and also what MicroHelp was selling at the time. Right, so you guys... Would you say that you, MicroHelp, and maybe uh, Hammerly, were pretty much it in terms of commercial libraries at the time? Yeah, there were there were a couple of others. Uh, there were, uh, but no, nobody near, nearly as big as we were. Uh, I, I've always felt that our stuff was better, if not technically better, because you know, I mean, how many ways can you write a routine to read DOS file names? Right. Uh, but <laughs> I, I always thought that our our stuff was certainly easier to use. Uh, we really. Uh, aim to have minimum number of parameters and a lot of examples, a lot of explanations. That's we were, true. And we were the only ones including the source code. Yeah, that that really, uh, I learned a lot just from reading the comments in the sample code. Well, well, well that's right, and that, was, and that was an important part of it. I remember at that time uh, one of the other companies uh, they would give you, they would sell you the source code for like, you know, five times the cost of the product, but you had to sign, you know, like, you know, three copies of something in blood and promise right. you'd never reveal it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm a, a trusting kind of person and never really felt that anything I had was, was uh, a rocket science or top secret stuff. And I was, was more interested in just sharing and spreading the word and saying, hey, look how easy this is, rather than Here, here's this top secret stuff I yeah. have and you're buying, you know, intellectual property from me. I never had that kind of an attitude, as I said. And before. it paid off, too. I mean... Well, it did, and, and 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 a lot of people really appreciated that, and I got a lot of uh, a lot of comments from people that they really enjoyed that. Right, because even the assembly source code was commented. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the point being, the point being to learn that did bite us. At one point, there was a company that got a startup, and and Carl, I don't, I don't, I think this was before you were working for us, uh, but there was a company that tried to come out with a competing library, <clears throat> and there was one tricky routine that they didn't know how to do, so they stole ours. Oh no. And. Uh, and I, I, I disassembled their object uh, in uh, probably in debug and saw a key thing. And what I did was I, I, I used a nonsense name that I made up. Uh, I, and it's not worth getting into the details. It wasn't like Wow Man, was it? Right. Yeah. It was. It was? Yeah. It was uh, something like yeah. It was and, like Wow dot Man. Yeah, something like that. And I would create that on the on the drive to see if the drive was it was ready for for writing. That's right. I remember so that. Read, read test and write test. It would tell whether the, the you see you could tell if a floppy was in there. Uh, and if if and if 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 the right protect tab was on, even if it's in there, doesn't mean that you can write to it. Right. And you know, they're they're in their object code was my text. You know, open this. You know, try to create this file for, of course, from assembly language called like Wowman. Right. And, uh, uh, so uh, they 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 went out of business soon after. I called all the magazines and said, please, guys, don't don't review these. <laughs> this right. Don't help these people out. Right. And right. I, uh, I remember getting a tech support call from some angry customer who was livid that. That we our libraries would put a file on their hard drive called like wow dot man. Well, they thought, I think yeah, I think people thought it was a virus. Yeah, but of course, <laughs> of course, of course. The thing, I, I'm, I'm sure the file got deleted right after the test. Yeah, uh, but if you went in with Norton Utilities or some kind of an unerase thing, uh, you could see the the, you know, the trail left behind. You know that's very interesting, but I have to tell you because I don't think you folks even know this. But since you brought up the point, Carl, about uh, Tom Hanlon, you know. Tom is uh, one of our key guys here at PowerBasic. Oh, wow. no kidding. Yep, Tom has been here since, um, gosh, now, try to remember when, 99, I think. Oh, that's fabulous. Wow, I didn't know that. And Tom's one of our key guys, uh, certainly a very talented uh, young man. Uh, yeah, do you know a guy named Daniel Stasinski, I think was his name? Oh, sure. 
Does that ring a bell? He used to he wrote a windowing library that I used for a long time. Right, that was uh, PB Vision. Yeah, that's that it. Was the Power Basic version of it? Um, we actually still have that available for our DOS programmers. Huh? It's a text window kind of thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a text windowing program for DOS. Um, it some of the key ingredients of it that kind of made it popular um, in the pre Windows days were the was the idea that he would remap the character set. Yeah. Uh, to make huh. it look much more graphically oriented. Cool. Uh, of course, you can't do that these days in most cases under Windows. Right. Um, so that that leaves that out today. But that was one of its one of its key features. But it's still an interesting product. Um, we uh, we took it over from him, and we've been selling it for him for years. Huh. And uh, it's it's now gotten to the point where it's really not a fully supported product. We're offering it to our customers for for twenty dollars. Because it's not a fully supported product, which isn't going to be, you know, yeah, yeah. that aspect of it's not going to be improved in right. the future. So we're making it available to, you know, as kind of a, oh, just, you know, um, just a little extra that folks hmm. can use. That's cool. We still have a lot of DOS programmers out there. The, uh, you know, the Hanlon's library, I think, was the first assembler library I ever tried from Quick Basic, and I got it off a bulletin board. Yeah, that that was that was out before QuickPack. Uh, yeah. That was one of the, I was considering trying to do that and do a shareware library, and realized that uh, there was no real money to be made doing that. Right. But uh, yeah, he was he probably he was either the first or one of the first to do a uh, you know an add-on compiled basic assembly language routines library. And this is sort of the precursor to an ActiveX control. You know, I mean, if you think about it in a weird way, <laughs> the object files that you were creating and the and the uh, you know that would be linked in with QuickPack um, for DOS. Uh, eventually turned into QuickPack for Windows. It was a Windows DLL written in assembly. They took uh, how many routines was in that thing? Uh, hundreds. Hundreds of routines, little functions that do everything from you know format a string to check the you know the the drive for reading or writing. I remember there's a great one to check to see if the printer was available, which was a tricky thing because if you try to go out and talk to the printer and it's not there, it'll hang. Um, Little things like that, and uh, they took all these assembler routines for DOS and converted them to a DLL, and that was really one of the first toolkits for Windows that you could get an add-on for Visual Basic. That's right. Didn't Jay Monroe do most Jay of that Monroe, work? Jay Monroe, that's right. And uh, he went on to work for uh, PC Magazine, right. and a great cartoonist, by the way. Yep. Shout out to Jay. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, he did that, and then started writing some custom controls, some VBX controls, and uh, that was about the time that I came in. You had a few controls. You were getting a few. I think I found uh, a couple in the third-party arena, you know, some people who were doing controls and asked them if they wanted to join in and just started assembling VBX controls with those routines, and then, and then that grew into QuickPack for Windows. MicroHelp had their toolkit um, about the same time for Windows. But you guys, you two were really the first, you and MicroHelp, don't you think? Yeah, I think we. Yeah, I think we were at just about just about the same time, and it might have even been a couple of months ahead of us. Yep. So. I got a a story for you. Uh, you know, actually, Ethan, you rescued me from being a COBOL programmer and didn't even know <laughs> it. But uh, early on, when I first got into uh, to writing basic code, I uh, worked for a company down in Birmingham, Alabama, and I got tasked with writing reports for the LaserJet printer. And I was looking for, for something that would let me easily handle, uh, I think it's called PCL, the uh, the programming language for the printer. That right, yeah. yeah. And you had, a, uh, you had a library that Ron Holcomb wrote for you called LaserPack. That's right. That's it. And uh, I wound up buying that program and, uh, and you know, getting really well-versed in it. I could do anything with a laser printer. And that led to me getting a job uh getting away from that company where I did a lot of COBOL programming and going over to work purely in Quick Basic, and then eventually uh, Basic PDS and then finally Visual Basic. Yeah, and you know Ron, don't you, Mark? Yeah, Ron eventually came and went to work for the uh, the same company I was working for and worked on a Windows library for us. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I knew Ron very well. He moved down to Birmingham and lived there for quite a while. Small world. You know, uh, you may not know this because we're always pushing our master class, but Franklin's Net does a considerable amount of on-site training as well. 
In fact, in February, um, I went to Philadelphia to teach a class to 26 people. And uh, this company scouted out uh, all, all our competitors and sent uh, one programmer to each company uh, that they were considering, and they chose me to come and teach their class. Um, and it was a success. Now listen, uh, we have lots of topics that aren't necessarily on the website that you can choose from to customize your on-site class, including GDI+, uh, .NET Remoting, Advanced Web Services, uh, Sockets Programming, Server Programming, Multi-Threaded Programming, Asynchronous Programming, uh, lots of stuff. If you, even if you don't see something on the board, give us a call and we'll help you customize your on-site class. Hey, isn't this show awesome? I, I'm just having a ball talking to these guys about the old times. Um, stick around. We're going to talk about, uh, oh, I don't remember what we're talking about, but stick around anyway. <laughs> So where did BASIC start, anyway, the language? Where was that invented? Well, I guess the original, original BASIC goes back to the 60s, doesn't it? Um, Is it Kurtz and Kimeny at Dartmouth? Absolutely. Uh, that was an interesting language, of course. Didn't they have one character or two, one character variable names, if I remember? I think you could have huh. 26 variables, if I recall, <laughs> in that original one. That wow. was way before my time. Well, it was before my time, too. That was... Uh, that was a good ten years before I uh, before I really got interested and got I, I first got interested when uh, you know with the PC PC right. world in the seventies. Right. That's when it, uh, it caught my interest and I got more and more involved at that from that point on. But uh, we we've, we've added quite a bit to Basic, our, you know, in terms of Power Basic. I mean, Power Basic has all of the low level constructs of C virtually. You know, we have pointer variables, we have dynamic and fixed strings and ASCII Z strings. Yeah. And, uh, all the looping structures one could ask for, and uh, uh, a lot of built in higher level things too, like sorting and array scanning, all built in right into the language. That's very cool. Whereas, but whereas, uh, QuickPack was sort of, you know, an add-on library. You were building the compiler itself, so you were just adding features right into the language. That's correct. Yeah, and so we we we've kind of took it in two directions that way, uh, but we tried very hard to make it uh, uh, as robust as we could, yet keep the program size down. I mean, that's our. That's our motto. I have a little sign on the wall here in my office where I'm sitting right now. It says, smaller, faster, smaller, faster, smaller, faster. <laughs> and that's the truth. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, right. We joke about that a bit, but that is a sign hanging on my wall here. So that's the whole Zen of assembly language is, uh, is that, trying to get, get it down to the least number of cycles, the least number of bytes. Exactly. Right. And that's 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 been our goal all along. So, you know, we make uh, you know our runtime that gets linked in is very very granular. So, right, it's it's amazing the difference it can make. But at the same time, you don't make it difficult to use. I mean, the whole idea of Basic is that it's an easy language to understand and to and to be productive with. So. Absolutely, I defy you to go back to a C program you wrote a year ago and and really understand what it says. That's after because years C is a right. By. That's because C is a write-only language. Right? <laughs> Seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, it has its place. Obviously, C is a great language. It has its oh, place. Oh, sure. And uh, I, I wouldn't dream of knocking it in that regard. But but basic. It's a all beginner can take a look at it and <laughs> have a good idea of what's going on right away. Right. Um, and you can use pointers if you want to. You can forget about it if you, you know, you can use all of the extra data types if you wish. You don't have to. I love string pointers. String pointers are perhaps the most useful kind of pointer you can use in a language like Power Basic because you can just, uh, you know, allocate a, a huge buffer and just walk through it, literally looping, going from this byte to that byte to this byte to that byte. Right. Analyzing and changing and morphing and and it's going to take you know an iota of the time that it would to do like an instir and use mid to replace and append and all that kind of stuff, Com constantly destroying and creating new strings. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, that's what we've we've done, and uh, it yeah you're right. Pointers can make it amazingly fast by comparison, yep. and of course the assembler code is too because we have a built-in assembler in all of our compilers. Ah. Uh, so you can write as much basic or as much assembler as you want. In fact, we even have customers who use our compiler to use it as an assembler. Hmm. Um, 
I've heard that many times from folks because huh. they don't have to worry about doing all the structure and setup. Our overhead is is fairly low right. uh, on a DLL or an executable, and we've got a full-blown built-in assembler in the language. Right. With Power Basic, you could uh, you could mix assembly in with your basic. Oh, absolutely, code. line by line. You can intermix back and forth. Uh, you can write two lines of basic, two lines of assembler, go back and forth all you need to. That's and, great. And uh, it's it's an interesting combination because you can get the best of both worlds that way, That's and cool. you can really get the performance if you want. I don't think uh, I don't think Microsoft has much to be worried about in terms of being a threat to the VB language or to .NET at all. I mean, this is a I think Power Basic is a great tool that any any developer should have in their tool chest to to assist when speed is absolutely critical and you're doing algorithmic kind of programs, you're doing compression, you're doing uh uh you know any kind of encryption, that kind of stuff, um you know d- uh, digital signal processing, the stuff where you know you have to have that assembler speed. Absolutely. And, uh, and and we have that. Yeah. But thank you. That's a, a wonderful compliment. Well, we it's good. It. I use it and I love it. Um, I even had, uh, I, I have occasion to, to, to pull out that bootstrapper program during my class and show it. And, and, you know, the hands go up. Where can I get that? You know, where can I get Power Basic? And so, well, let me tell you these folks where they can get it. <laughs> www.powerbasic.com. Cool. Uh, you might find our, we, in fact, we have just a recently total redesign on our website cool and uh just in the last several days um and we're we're very proud of it but there's a huge amount of information there about our products and about programming in general we've got a great user forum section where there's over a hundred thousand messages today from uh, programmers in all facets of programming and uh a lot of great information that I think your listeners uh, might find interesting and attractive hey, so Bob. I'd like to invite them all to come and visit us Hey Bob, do you have any uh, Power Basic success stories, programs written with it that we might recognize, or uh, or, or things that have been important that have been done with it? Well, uh, there there have been any number. We uh, we have an interesting page on our website with a list of uh, oh about four hundred of our customers, uh, some of whom just might surprise you. Everyone from NASA to Rolls Royce to Jaguar motor cars and Ford and all of the aerospace industry. Uh, wow. NASA uses it in the shuttle project. Uh, uh, we could go. We could. It's 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 quite an interesting customer list. I'm listen, I'm looking at it right now. This is incredible. 3M, AT&T, American Express, Abbott Laboratories, Adaptech, uh, Adaptive Electronics, AMD, Aetna, Allegiant, uh, and that's just not even uh, a fifth of the A's. In fact, let me let me tell you about one of our users that we're very proud of, Jim Byrne. Okay. Uh, I probably don't know his name, but uh, he's the chief. He was the chief architect of the Strategic Defense Initiative, the Star Wars project. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, all, even though the project never went to completion because of hardware issues and a variety of other things, which right. I'm not issues. really privy to, but right. he wrote a complete model of the Strategic Defense Initiative, the complete missile defense system. He had a working model of it written in Power Basic How for cool the federal that? government. That's incredible. That's great. And uh, that's, that's, Jim is uh, recently deceased, unfortunately. We lost him. Um, he became a good friend after... Uh, 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 after he worked on this project, we we spoke a number of times while he was doing it, and uh, he didn't. He's an incredible, incredible man, uh, just incredible. Uh, his son Brad Byrne is one of our customers right now, and one of the frequent folks who uh, we see on our website on our forums all the time. But uh, uh, Jim wrote that complete package, and um, he was just dedicated to Power Basic. We loved him for that, of course. <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey Bob, I'm curious about something. You you go back into the uh, the late '70s, uh, working with with uh, computers and and basic. Did you ever work on the was it the MIPS Altair that uh, that Bill Gates uh, first wrote a basic compiler or interpreter for? Uh, actually, I owned one, um, and I have to tell you, I never got it to work for too long. <laughs> but that was when I first got interested. Um, my first uh, exposure to personal computers was that uh, popular electronics article in the 70s uh, when they first 
uh, described the Altair PC. I guess it wasn't called the PC. What was it called back then? Uh, a hobbyist computer, I think, is. Yeah, but that that was what first piqued my interest, and um, we, uh, before long, uh, I was producing some, you know, minor commercial programs to, at, at the start, and then decided that uh, uh, the world really needed a better basic, and so I did do yeah. that, and been doing it ever since, quite happily. Cool. Yeah, I remember the first computer I uh, I ever did a basic program on was a TRS-80, and I had to save it to a cassette drive. It didn't have a hard drive in it. Those were some good days. <laughs> yeah, I cut my teeth on a TRS-80 Model 4, which was, you know, a Rolls-Royce compared to the early ones. Well, my, mine go back to the Altairs and the uh, IMSI. I had an IMSI. Southwest <laughs> Tech Products was the, was the first. Uh, that was a 6800-based machine. That was the first machine that had a bootstrap uh, in prom. Hmm. And um, uh, that was in the days of still of cassettes. Uh, I I fondly remember the days of loading uh, loading interpreters from cassettes. We had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> All right, I got a question for both of you. This is going to be great, Ethan. What was the craziest tech support call you ever got? <laughs> oh, jeez, I, I don't remember back fifteen years. But oh, come uh, on, there's got to be one that sticks out. Well. <laughs> I remember some of the people that would call. Right. Because uh, yeah, we too. certainly had people that would, it was easier for them to call us than to uh, you know, look in the manual or to you know, <laughs> apply a little bit of thinking. And that was certainly irritating because we included you know, tech support for free. This was before anybody even thought of charging for tech support, which is, I guess, right. pretty common now, you know, $30 per incident. Uh, we would have made a killing just on, on a couple of guys. Right. But uh, you probably uh, uh, remember some of those people. I don't really want to make fun of. Yeah, there was one guy. I won't tell him. I won't say his name, but he was a regular. He always used to announce his profession. Right. <laughs> He'd say, "Hi, this is so and so. I'm a I'm a CPA in Modesto, California." Well, then there was uh, the guy who would uh, bend your ear for half an hour, and you'd say, right. "Well, no. Say for example, I got this yeah, problem." Say for example. Right. That's right. Say for example. And if either of you guys are listening, accept our apologies. Yeah, we're sorry. We're sorry. <laughs> and we also had an old lady who used to call a lot, a sweet old lady. Do you remember her? Well, if, uh, if, if you're talk, talking about who I think, she's not that old. <laughs> uh, Myrna Larson is... Yeah, uh, and I still am that's right. She wasn't that old. No, uh, she's a, uh, a retired doctor, so she's old enough to be retired, but I'm still in touch with her, and she's uh, uh, quite an interesting person. She yeah, she's uses, very sweet. Uh, not only that, but Myrna is also a Power Basic customer. I'll hey, look at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a small world. Well, well yes. Myrna, Myrna is great, and the great thing about Myrna is that she would call, and unlike people that would call and say, yeah, you got a bug in your assembly routine, she would say, I found a bug in your assembly routine, but if you load it up, it's it's on line 43, right. you see where you have the move, and you should be doing an ad with Carrie, you know, and, and she would debug the programs <laughs> and fix it, and then call us and tell us what she did. That's great. And and I, so so I have a lot of fondness for uh, for Myrna. How about you, Bob? Any uh, outstandingly uh, humorous uh, tech support calls? Tech or? support is something I've been lucky enough to avoid for the past 10 years. <laughs> um, I, I, I tell you, I have great uh, fondness for our tech support guys. And incidentally, Power Basic tech support is, for the most part, free. Yeah. Almost all of our tech support is still absolutely free. It's cool. We only charge when, when a customer calls with a consulting type issue. Help right. me make this code faster. Right. Help me do something with the API that I don't understand about the API. Um, but I, I truly, I have all the respect in the world for the tech support folks. They have a great deal more patience than I do. Um, and I've been lucky enough to avoid it. So I, I, I don't have any real war stories to tell you anymore. Um, but can't think of any. Well, I had a, <laughs> it's, I remember, it's been I long a... enough. I'm sorry. I got a tech support fax from a guy in uh, Sweden once, I think it was, who said he started the fax by saying, you know, Crescent Software, whatever, Ridgefield, Connecticut. I just want to tell you guys I've been using your tools for a long, long time, and I swear by them I wouldn't use any other tools. You know, dear MicroHelp. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we start cheap competitor. Dear MicroHelp, I swear your tools are the greatest and this and that. No, I never use any. So I wrote him back, Dear Gunther, and his name was Hans or something. You know? <laughs> now he deserved that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. If I uh, uh, can just say one one thing, which is sort of sort of related. Uh, everybody thinks that DOS programming is dead, and in fact, it's not. And, and the only point I want to make, I just wrote a huge program last year for a company that does hard disk data recovery. Uh-huh. And this was, you know, I mean, really a major thing that got right down to the lowest uh, level of the hard disk. And that kind of stuff has to be written in DOS. And there's a lot of things, and I'm sure Bob can give many more examples, because uh, he's really in the thick of it, of stuff that is is appropriate for DOS today. Right. Uh, lots and lots of things. Uh, Just because business software isn't written in DOS doesn't mean it doesn't it isn't useful. That, that, that's, that's correct. And, and, uh, I, and I still, to this day, sell... Uh, some of the Crescent tools, the DOS stuff, and because uh, after everything went to Windows, uh, they, uh, when Progress bought Crescent, they literally had no idea how to support the DOS stuff. They just didn't have anybody there that could do it. So they, they literally gave me back that part of the company. And to this day, I still sell things occasionally. And, uh, and, hmm. and it's fun actually talking about that stuff and, and thinking about it and answering people's questions. I have to look back in the source code to see if it has some feature <laughs> or not. But, uh, right. You know, Ethan, I couldn't agree with you more about DOS. It's amazing. Our DOS compiler still sells. Every day we sell copies of our DOS compiler. Uh, And in fact, believe it or not, we are going to be releasing another version of our DOS compiler. We are upgrading our our compiler, and there will be a PowerBasic for DOS version 4. Very cool. Head over to your website and take a look. Well, it's not there yet, (laughs) but it will be. Okay. (laughs) That's not today. That'll be later on this year, I presume. Well, Bob, it was nice talking to you. I'm going to have to uh, send you an email. We'll have to uh, at least chat a little bit offline. And, uh, Must do that. And, uh, and if I ever get out there, I'll uh, certainly want to come see you. And I'd like to thank both of you guys for uh, sharing this hour with me and the listeners. I'm sure uh, you know you brightened everybody's day. This is just an incredible stuff looking back and looking forward. I'm really looking forward to uh, PowerBasic.net, Bob. You got my, uh, got my interest peaked well, severely. Good. Yep. So stay yep. tuned to PowerBasic.com. Absolutely. You guys are titans in the world of basic. Yeah, we owe a lot to you. Well, thank you. It's it's very kind of you to say those things. Okay, well, take care. All right, thanks we'll, a lot. We'll catch you later. All right, see ya. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.